and welcome to this episode in our sequence of podcasts on America in the 1920s. We've been played in there by the theme tune from the 1989 film The Untouchables, uh, done by Ennio Morricone. And that's a film about gangsters in Chicago. And I think it's fair to say that's the image a lot of people have when they think of the 1920s. It's the guys in the big hats with the Tommy guns and the big cars and making a great deal of money dressed nicely. And where's the money coming from? It's coming from the illegal sale of alcohol. Why was alcohol illegal? Why was there so much money? Why did it lead to organised crime? Listen on and we'll cover all of those things. Well, first off, we should probably talk about how prohibition comes about. Why do you actually ban alcohol? And this isn't a sudden thing, is it? This doesn't just happen overnight. No, no, this is something which is, uh, you know, the roots of prohibition go back a hundred years or so mm-hmm. before the actual uh, banning of alcohol. Um, it's got its, its origins in the 1800s with the temperance movements and mm. temperance is the idea of not drinking alcohol yeah and it was a very common feature of religious groups yeah who had settled in america in the 19th century it's also a very common feature of the wild west mm. where drinking and violence is a very is a very big thing you'll see these temperance uh movements these the wagons yeah with the women and the men on it who signed the pledge yeah and you know Violence was one of the reasons why people were were against drinking, mm. why the temperance movement uh, gained support. Um, that there was a, a belief that men in particular would spend all their wages in the tavern, mm. you know, and they would neglect their children, they'd neglect uh, their families. To be fair, this isn't actually a belief. This, no, this is yeah, what yeah, happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and there, there were lots and lots of leaflets and posters published by these mm. temperance movements, and you can find them online, they're really easy to find. Um, you know, people even equated um, alcoholics to slaves, mm. who, you know, they were slave to the drink. Yeah, uh, They would take their entire wage to the saloon and hand it over to the barkeeper, who yeah. was like the devil, or, ah. or a slave owner, and then he kept his slave, the drinker, in poverty, mm. Uh, you know, by buying him yeah. a drink, if you like. So, and I, I suppose also the the other problem that people have with it, especially the, um, especially in this this area of economic boom, is the loss of productivity because you, you're not yeah. working as well no. if you're drunk or if you're hungover. No, you? that's very true. And it's it, it's um the whole movement though it it's it gains more weight when they become much more organised. Mm. And there's a couple of groups in particular who really are quite strong in pushing the idea of prohibition. You've got the Women's Christian Temperance Union mm-hmm. and the Anti-Saloon League. And the Anti-Saloon League are a very famous one. And they were formed in 1873 and 1893, respectively. Uh, they were initially very strong in the rural areas of the South and the Midwest. And they campaigned for a ban on alcohol. And they were so successful that by 1914, some of the states had already banned mm. Alcohol. So it, one of the one of the revision uh, resources I've put on the system is uh, some maps published by the Anti Saloon League, which shows you the spread of dry counties mm. from about eighteen ninety five onwards, and you can see it spread county by county, town by town, state by state, and you find all these dry areas. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's it's not like you said, it's not a sudden thing. This is something which has been creeping mm. up, creeping up, creeping up, and it was only a matter of time, I suppose, mm. before it would become a national 
and, and the final thing that puts it on the national agenda is, of course, the war. Yes. Because yeah. I suppose at this point, it's worth reminding ourselves about the immigration. The original immigration is from Northern Europe. It's the British. But for the purposes of this, it's the Germans. Yeah. And the Germans brew beer, very good beer, yeah. as it happens. Big American brewers were of German descent. And so, and you know, they had German names. So yeah. drinking alcohol became equated with basically being a traitor yeah. and not being a loyal American. Um, so they started to suggest that refusing alcohol was a patriotic duty. And this is again something that uh, our old friend Warren G. Harding jumps on in the 1920 election as well. A man who never met a bandwagon he didn't like the look of. Um, so he, he gets involved in this as well. Okay, so that's basically the background. That's why we've got it. So we best have a little think about how it's done. Because it's being done nationally, there's only really one way they can do it, isn't there? Yeah, they, they, they have to change the constitution mm -hmm. and then they have to pass a law to bring that change into effect. Okay, so what does the 18th Amendment to the Constitution do then? Right, the 18th Amendment is the amendment which bans the legality of alcohol. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, not the drinking, is it? No, you, you can you can't manufacture it. Mm. You can't move it. Yeah. You can't sell it. Yeah. But you're not a criminal if you consume it. Because the problem there, of course, yeah. is you can't. The idea is if you if you take away the supply, then nobody's mm. going to be able to drink it. But if you make drinking illegal, that means that at midnight, the day this comes into effect, mm. anybody who's got a stockpile image becomes a, a criminal. So there's really no other way. No. You can do it. Um, so yeah, people when, when this came into force, when this change to the constitution uh, was put into place, people like you said they started to stockpile. Drinking became much more secretive, underground, and so on. But then it is enforced with the Volstead Act, mm -hmm. and the Volstead Act um, defines what intoxicating liquor is, and it's yeah. any drink which has more than half a percent of alcohol. Yeah. yeah. And so, intoxicating liquor can't be uh, transported, manufactured or sold, according to the 18th Amendment, and the Volstead Act defines what that is. Mm -hmm. And then you come to the issue of enforcement. Yes. And this falls, weirdly, you would think it would fall under the purview of uh, individual police departments or something like that, but it falls under the purview of the Treasury Department. And the problem with that is that the Treasury Department doesn't have enforcement agents as such because there's no FBI that doesn't exist at this point no, that's okay. not there um, so you basically have the Treasury Department and they hire somewhere in the region of about 5,000 Treasury agents and they're the ones who are responsible for tracking all this down and that's just completely useless in a country <laughs> that's 3,000 yeah. miles across yeah. and 1,000 miles down. So these are the prohibition agents these are the working prohibition agents, under the yeah. Treasury as that's opposed right. to the police forces. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's worthwhile talking about what people's responses are to this. Yes. Because yeah. how do you deal with the fact that it's now you can't get alcohol legally? No. Does it stop people from having a drink? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I suppose the story starts with how, how did they actually get the alcohol. Mm -hmm. So there's two ways. Yeah. The first way is you make it yourself. Absolutely. And this is where moonshine comes from. Yeah. Uh, problem with moonshine is that it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's incredibly powerful dangerous. Stuff. Yeah. People it's, died from drinking quick, it. Quick bit of science so that you know. 
it is incredibly easy to make alcohol. At the end of the day, all you are doing is fermenting something so that the sugar turns into alcohol. It's basically what will happen if you leave apples to rot. Making alcohol is really easy. That's why people in prison make it in the toilets. The problem is that if you don't get rid of the impurities, you're creating something which is a devil's brew. Yeah, absolutely poisonous. (laughs) It will will make you go blind. It will strip the enamel off your teeth. And so you've got these people up in the up in the hills make it you've all done it any student at gcse level listening to this podcast has done distillation in science all you do is you boil the liquor and collect the stuff that evaporates off the top and that's your alcohol and it it was such a problem a couple of stats for you here by 1930 282,122 illicit steals have been seized by the government and deaths from alcoholic poisoning had gone up from 98 in 1920 to 760 in 1926. So, yeah, making your moonshine is probably not a good idea. But the other thing you have to remember is that the those stills are only the ones they capture. Yeah, For every yeah. one they capture, there's going to be another few tucked away in the Appalachian Mountains yeah. with the guys in the dungarees and the yeah. banjos. In, in caves. Yeah. So, yes, moonshine is one way. I suppose the other way is you bring it in from outside. Yeah, and this is where the bootleggers come in. So bootleggers, these were smugglers, basically, and they brought illegal supplies in from either Canada Mm -hmm. or from the West Indies were the two major routes that they were bringing in alcohol. Um, And it was big business. Yeah, It's no surprise that the two centres, I suppose the three centres for organised crime in America are New York, Florida and Chicago because those are the three points of entry yes, yeah. for the West Indies yeah. and the Caribbean and for Canada. Yeah, and a little aside this as well, I didn't know this until just a minute ago, <laughs> Joseph Kennedy. Yes, Joseph P. Kennedy. He made a great deal of money from did. the illegal liquor trade and of course he's uh, the father of, of President Kennedy. Which also helps explain why, as has been established by a number of reputable historians, the Chicago outfit helped stuff ballot boxes to help um, JFK in the 1960 election. There you go. Um, it's also why all those uh, conspiracy theories about the mob circulate about his assassination. Well, on the topic of the mob, mm. that's the next, isn't it? The it next is, uh, yeah. impact, organised crime. By the very definition, if you make something illegal and people cannot obtain it illegally and they still want it, then they are going to go to criminals. And by criminalizing alcohol you haven't stopped its importation or production all you've done is turn it over to the criminals lock stock and barrel yeah and there are some extremely famous criminals absolutely i mean al capone is the obvious one yeah lucky luciano yeah there were lots and lots yeah and it was it became endemic there wasn't any way Mm. that the government could deal with this because these guys were so powerful and so rich, and they were supplying a, you know, a commodity that was in such high demand that everybody was willing to turn a blind eye to yeah. it. And so they could bribe the police. They could yeah. bribe the prohibition agents, the judges. And the other thing is, once you see, a policeman is not going to necessarily see any problem in taking a bribe when it comes to somebody having a drink. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, once they've taken that bribe, they are then owned, body and soul, yeah by the other people and they're forced to turn a blind eye to other serpents. So the the problem with prohibition is its corrosive influence on the rest of society. Yeah. Because these 
uh, the, the booze business itself. If we just take the Chicago outfit as our example, the Chicago outfit being the name of the little outlier of the mafia which works in Chicago run by Al Capone, Alphonse Capone. That's a billion dollars a year mm. just in alcohol, but they're also involved in prostitution, gambling. Yeah, it's, um, the, it's the knock-on effect, yeah. isn't it, to all other areas of, of organised crime. Yeah. And protection rackets was one, Absolutely. Of the, one of the most profitable for them. Yeah, protection rackets, for those of you that don't know, go something like this. My learned colleague here is a shopkeeper. Mm-hmm. I am a gentleman probably of Italian descent, and I walk into his shop, and the conversation goes something like this. Good evening. Good evening. Nice shop. Thank you. Shame if something burny happened to it. Well, please don't do that. <laughs> well, uh, do you have any fire insurance? Uh, Would you like some? Yes. I think that will be an excellent idea. There you go. Yeah. That's it. And how much does it cost? <laughs> how long is a piece of string, I suppose, exactly, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and so th- the crime becomes endemic. The corruption of public officials becomes endemic. Don't forget, the very year that the Volstead Act and the 18th Amendment come into force, Warren G. Harding is still holding drinks parties mm. in the White yeah. House. I've been teaching this for years, and I've never been able to come up with an example of a law that everybody ignores yeah. until this year. And somebody in one of my classes did it, and it goes like this. Anybody ever watched a film that they were too young for the certificate for? Yeah. There you go. Yep. It's illegal. It's a crime. The person who showed it to you can go to prison. Yeah. And yet, people simply just ignore it. Yeah. And that's what this is for the people who want to drink. And, you know, you, you hit this spot on there. It's so public, mm. the drinking. I mean, like, you see pictures of people scrawling messages on walls and on pavements. Speakeasy this way, yeah. you know, like illegal bar this way, and it's it's there, it's mm. there for everybody to see, and nobody cares. No, and, you know, and because they don't see it as being anything wrong. No. It's it's a law that nobody's taking seriously, and it, it it became such a problem that by the time you know we got to the height of prohibition, there were more speakeasies and illegal bars in America than there had been before before yeah. prohibition and there were was more introduced. there were more arrests for drunken disorderly behaviour, yeah. more violent assaults. Everything that prohibition was supposed to stop, it actually made worse and then some. Yeah. Because you've turned this business over to the criminals and because it's now a criminal enterprise, that if they find themselves struggling for market share, they're not going to into invest in a new advertising strategy. They're going to deal with it the way they know how. And again, I suppose we can use the uh, Chicago outfit and the Bugs Moran gang yes, yeah. as our example here. Because the tit-for-tat escalation of violence in Chicago becomes a really major issue. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it ultimately um, results in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a big event like that that I suppose made people realise mm. that the law prohibition really wasn't working, it was making things worse and mm. it was from that moment on where they started to seriously take the idea of repealing prohibition yeah. seriously it didn't happen still for a few more years it does, it, I think it's 1933 where it finally comes to an yeah. end with Roosevelt because one of his election pledges and it's worth thinking that part of the part of the impetus for this is the Great Depression, yeah. because 
there's a huge amount of tax revenue there that the government's cut off from. Yeah. There's also the cost of enforcement and everything else. And there's also jobs and employment in alcohol yeah. production that the country could really do with. So I think there's very definitely an economic yeah. push here as well for FDR too. Yeah. It's, a, it's a vote winner, but it's also a very practical yeah. policy to have. Yeah. So the, the, the great experiment was a failure. Was it a worthwhile... Was it a noble experiment? Honestly, don't take a position for the sake of taking a position. What do you think? Do you think it was worthwhile or do you think it was just a colossal mistake from the very beginning? Well, you know, it was a very idealistic um, thing to try to do, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, the whole thing was was pushed by that religious background. But I suppose, you know, it's difficult to because we weren't there at the time, but if states were already dry and it was already a movement that had some mm. momentum, then I, I can understand why they thought it was going to work. Yeah. Just too but big a, it was too just, big a yeah, problem. It was just too, it, it was too ambitious. Mm. Far too ambitious. And I suppose the other thing you have to remember, is you see it now with the war on drugs in America. Mm. To an extent, the country's just too big. Yeah. It is. Yeah. To to actually remove, it's not like saying this new thing's arriving. We're going to outlaw it. We're going to say we're going to get rid of this thing, which is already part of our culture, is already here. I, I that's that's not going to work. Practically, the problems are insurmountable. And you know, I suppose just the the, the icing on the cake for it. The reason why it was going to fail. You've already mentioned this. Is the moment you make something illegal, it becomes. A desirable yeah. commodity, yeah, so, especially for the young. Yeah, yeah, never going to work. No. Well, I think that's everything. So, should we go for a drink? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Good luck with your exams.